This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? Metcalf, doing good. Um, another glorious day to talk some NBA draft. I'm pretty excited for this one. You know, I, I liked our last episode, Metcalf. I feel like this one's going to be even better. The the, the deadline or, or the floodgates are getting closer and closer each passing week. I can sort of start to see the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to uh, 24 cycle being back in our lives it's really driving me crazy right now because i'm ready to, i'm ready to rock maybe like two weeks i'll be fully ready but i feel pretty good right now how are you doing sir how's everything holding up uh just fantastic um getting that similar itch of needing basketball back um also i'm starting to get that itch of doing a little more writing and video breakdowns yes. and stuff the more i watch of these guys and the more research and stuff that we do for these podcasts it's like oh god I need, I need to start being better about putting content out besides just this, besides this lovely, lovely podcast that we do. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm excited for this one. So we're kind of building off of the similar theme of last week, hopefully consolidating and making it a little more streamlined this episode. But uh, last, last week we focused on the kind of historical uh, development of combo guards. Uh, you know, we, we didn't go super far back, but we went back to 2016. And that was kind of right around the time where both of us started doing the really in-depth scouting work. And we went through uh, just the 2019 draft um, because we both have this firm belief that you can't really make a full-on determination of a guy as a hit or miss um, until they have about three years of experience under their belt. Obviously, that you can have a good idea of if a guy is going to go one way or the other. But there are a lot of times where there is that big third year breakout um and fourth year breakout where a guy's role and potential and projection can really change so we'd like to be a little patient with these guys so similar to last week we are going to look at the center position um we're not necessarily breaking it down into a specific archetype of stretch big versus rim protectors versus rim runners um versus switchable bigs we're just looking at the center's overall drafted uh, from 2016 to 2019, uh, just in the first round. So, Rucker, when you think of the center, it's very open-ended question here that I'm doing you no favors of. But what what really stands out with your with that position um, to you, and just how it's kind of developed and grown and its influence over the last handful of years? I think the biggest thing with with bigs with centers, I mean it. I mean, right there, you could almost argue that it's transitioned from centers to just bigs now because you almost have to either be a true center or be able to have a little bit of versatility where maybe you're playing the four or five. Like, it was awesome back in the day 
when we had those traditional like, oh, you're a power forward, you're a center. And now the game's just like, okay, positionless for, for most teams. Um, I think the the biggest part for me is the scouting mentality has completely changed. Um, you need to have a lot of versatility as a big now. Like you're required to have a little bit of potential to be a floor spacer. Um, it's not just back in the day we would be looking at these guys and be like okay yeah we'll feed them in the post give them some some looks there and now it's kind of away from that you're almost having a desire to kind of find the guys that it's like vanilla when it's like okay they can protect the rim they can rebound um play good defense be a lob threat it's almost simple and if you have some other aspect of your game that you can also bring to the table like Robert Williams is the name we'll probably bring up, but like I loved Robert Williams out of out of Texas A&M because I was like the Same. defense is there, but he also has playmaking ability and some offensive upside. So I think now it's like, what NBA skills do you have? Do you have multiple ones? And what's your kind of you know the cherry on top when it comes to you? Where it's like, oh, playmaking. There's some floor spacing potential. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me now with, with centers and bigs is you have to be kind of open-minded where it's like, it's a completely different evaluation from early two thousands with like guys like Tim Duncan, where it's like, Oh, we're going to run the offense through him in the post and let him go to work. And obviously Tim Duncan's a, you know, hall of fame, one of the best ever bigs, but you know, we we're, we've gotten away from like the, the Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett's those speed up, let them have in the mid range. And obviously if you're, you know, a guy like Carl Anthony towns or something like that, you still can do that. You still have those looks and it's a, it's a really interesting thing with bigs these days because teams have to be open-minded where it's like you adapt to bring out the strengths of those players. But I think now we're seeing teams that are just like, we want the rebounding rim protecting athletic lob threat, good hands, good feet. I mean, you always talk like feet and hands are so important. So sorry for my little rant there, but it, it really is an interesting case study when it comes to like the different opinion you have of big scouting throughout the years. What about you, Metcalf? Yeah. And I, I think it's just really interesting how over the last couple of years, they kind of went from the absolute focal point where you had to have a seven footer to even challenge for an NBA championship to almost being viewed as being irrelevant um, to now it seems like they're kind of the linchpin in how a lot of teams kind of build out their rosters because there is so much versatility to the position now where you can just have these low maintenance athletic rim runners, rim protectors, where that's their job on offense. They don't really do anything besides screen and, you know, offensive rebound and catch alley-oops and putbacks and dunk it and then protect the rim on the other end. Then you have these other guys who are the offensive focal points where they can stretch the floor, they can create for others, they can attack off the bounce, they can post up. So, you know, you, you get these wide ranges in guys from a Mitchell Robinson to a Carl Anthony Towns to a Nikola Jokic to Ivica Zubac, you know, to Wendell Carter. And it's all over the spectrum now where instead of being just this kind of cookie cutter position where it's like, you know, you, you just from one team to the other, they all kind of look the same. It's now become a total uh, grab bag of what unique skill do you have? And what does this, I think a lot of where we can really determine what a lot of front offices and coaching staffs value based on who they implement at the center position. 
Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things you're seeing too now with all these new, this new crop of bigs coming in each and every year is they're more versatile or they're offering the potential to be more skilled when it comes to, you know, I think I've watched the McDonald's all American game, like two of the top bigs, like first possession, they got the ball, they're putting up a three and it's like, you don't see that right away, but now it's almost we're NBA teams, organizations, scouts, we're almost wanting that from them now. It's like, show us that you have the potential to be a floor spacing big with some upside to more areas of your game. Like we want to see that bigs have the ability to handle the ball a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like, Oh, you need to run the offense, but there is bigs. That's like, Hey, we can run the offense through them at the top of the key. Um, They got playmaking ability. They got some vision. It's just, I really do think now the modern NBA, you need to bring more to the table as a big. Um, It's really hard to be a big that's like, Oh, well I rebound at a high rate and I can block some shots. And it's like, unfortunately, that is going to be in the next draft. So you have to be able to offer something else to the table to keep your job, stay around in the league, or else they're going to just try to find that any other place. Like we always say like, well, why would I draft that guy when I can maybe get that guy in free agency? Like that's a big topic when it comes to bigs, you know? Um, So I I think that's as a prospect, if you're a big man, you got to be having a lot of areas of your game that teams are thinking like, okay, this is, maybe a little raw, but there's something here to develop in which we could have a more versatile piece. Okay. Um, uh, after all of this, we're going to, you know, pivot to the bigs in the t- 2024 class and look at both the returners and a couple freshmen. Um, but before we do that, we got to look at guys who kind of hit and unfortunately missed in the last couple drafts going back to 2016. And instead of running through pick by pick year by year, um, we're just going to kind of group them into hits and misses. So um, I'm also going to, for those of you who are a little more visual learners, uh, there's a lot of noise here. We'll run through it all. um, If you're watching on YouTube, Um, if not, I we will do our very best to explain all of this, but when we look at the hits going back to 2016, uh, there's Jakob Pertl and DeMontis Sabonis. Oh, and also these are, we're just looking at first round guys. Um, so we're not look, going through second round and undrafted. Uh, in 2017, uh, two guys who are going to end up being really ma- major statistical outliers in Bam Adebayo and Jared Allen. Uh, 2018, DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Robert Williams, and I guess Mo Wagner. Um, we put him in yellow because he was a very end of the first round pick. Uh, his hung around the league for, you know, a handful of years now still gets minutes. So not really a hit, not really a miss. Um, looking at the misses in 2016, we have Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, uh, Georges Papianis, Scalabissier, Damian Jones in 2017, uh, Zach Collins again in yellow, Injuries have been been a major reason why, and he was looking really good this last year. So, uh, not don't feel super comfortable calling him a flat out miss. Um, but then we have Justin Patton, T.J. Leaf, Harry Giles, Andres Pesenics. Apologies on the mispronunciation. Uh, Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace. Tony Bradley, 2018. Uh, Mo Bamba, Omari Spellman, and 2019. Uh, Jackson Hayes. I'm saying he's a miss based on where he was drafted. Uh, Gogo Patazzi and Mufandu Kabangeli. Um, Rucker, where do you want to start? 
I mean, for everyone watching and for, I mean, get, for everyone listening to um, Metcalf's got an unbelievable chart up here with a lot of numbers, a lot of an- analytics, advanced numbers. So, you know, like Metcalf said, we'll try to kind of run through this and keep it as simple as we can, because it might be intimidating for some, but when you slow down and go piece by piece, it starts to make a little sense. Beautiful mind status. Um, it's just always so interesting to look back at just the wide range of bigs. I, you, you tell me Metcalf, where you want to start? This is all, this is fun. I love numbers. I'm, I'm a nerd at times. Um, yeah, l- l- let's just kind of go through big picture here. So th- the whole thing or the whole premise of what we're looking at here is eight different categories that seemed really relevant for centers and, you know, statistical trends that we could potentially look at. So we looked at eight categories um, being block rate, steal rate, offensive rebounding rate, defensive rebounding rate, true shooting percentage, assist rate, uh, three point attempt rate, and then usage. And then averaged all those out um, between the 2016 and 2019 drafts, and then looked at how these guys compared to each other in, in those categories. Um, and for those watching, if it if the cell is red, they're below average in that category. If it's green, they're above average. Pretty simple color coding. Um, but they, there were some real commonalities that we saw when we did all of this. Um, of the guys who were part of the quote-unquote hits, um, they were above average in 4.4 of these categories and below average in 3.6. And then the guys who were misses were above average in only 3.1 of the categories as opposed to 4.9. Um, why these categories? I think the, the reason I chose these categories is because for block and steal rate, really good defensive indicators of how guys uh, they're usually defensive indicators that translate pretty well to the next level. There's a pretty strong history of that uh, offensive and defensive rebounding rates. I wanted to separate those out because some, for some players, one can really skew the total rebounding rate. And it's important to look at, okay, are these guys effective at crashing the glass, creating extra opportunities on offense? And then on defense, are they excellent at controlling the paint, controlling the rim and ending possessions on that end of the floor. Uh, true shooting percentage was mainly just to look at. I don't really care right now if you're an awesome shooter or just a rim runner, can you be an efficient scorer? And that was the purpose of that assist rate. Do these guys have any kind of general feel for the game? Um, they don't have to be playmakers. They don't have to be offensive hubs, but are they moving the ball? Are they getting other guys involved And assist rate tends to be a solid indicator of that then three-point attempt rate is how frequently of their total field goals how many of those were three-point attempts that was a better indicator of outside shooting um, than three-point percentage because young centers are rarely very good uh, three-point shooters in terms of percentage but we wanted to look at willingness to shoot and how that kind of affects their game and carries out um, you know across the field and then usage rate of how frequently were these guys involved and then comparing that to where they were, what are they just freshmen and they're involved all the time because they're that skilled and that important to the team or are they, do they have a really high usage because they're older and they're just, they have seniority over everyone. So they're getting those kind of mandatory reps. This is awesome. And I, for everyone that 
might have a headache, you know, Tylenol helps, but just, just bear with us. Um, what I love about stuff like this, and this is the conversation that always will draw, you know, kind of an army or, or a bit of a battle when it comes to the discussion or the discourse, when it comes to like analytics and the eye test. And I'm a big believer of like analytics like this is really good to tell you a bigger picture or to back up what you're seeing on tape. Like, for everyone that's watching on YouTube. So like we're looking at Jaron Jackson just to point out one. And in two categories, he's below average when it comes to offensive rebound and defensive rebound percentage. But every other category above average or he's, you know, rating out in a, in a high percentage. I think that tells you the story of his game. Like, you know, true shooting percentage is up there. The assist percentage, the block percentage is outstanding, which is like, yeah, defensive player of the year. He's really, really good rim protector. Steal percentage is up there. So it's like, well, what does Jaron Jackson do? Well, he's a smart shooter who can space the floor. Um, he's unbelievable rim protector. So it's like, you, you want to balance out what you're seeing on tape and what you believe in this player. Like what are the strengths of his game where it's like some of the weaknesses that might show up in these numbers are like kind of obvious. Or so it's like, you know, Robert Williams on this outstanding numbers. His assist percentage is one of the highest amongst all the bigs we have listed here. And it's like, yeah, because they don't use him a ton in their offense, but he has the potential to be a very, very good playmaker for his position. Boston leans on him for his defensive ability. That's why they drafted him because they're like, Hey, this athletic rim protector with some playmaking flashes, they're never going to be a team that's like, hey, Robert, we want you to take three-pointers because that's just not his game. Now, like, they probably drafted him hoping like, hey, maybe he could step out and hit that 18-footer at some point. But I think that's where the analytics numbers can get a little scary. But if you can decipher all of it, it tells the story of a player, of what you're seeing. And sometimes you might see a number and you're like, whoa, that shocks me. Um, I don't know about you, Mecca, but like seeing Bam out of bio's numbers on here, I'm yeah. like, whoa, okay, that's a little shocking that, you know, a lot of those numbers are lower than you expect, but you also see like his usage numbers a lot lower than I would have thought for a talent like Bam. So it's always interesting to, to, I always use analytics and numbers like this to confirm what I'm seeing on tape. And if yes. I'm ever like looking at two prospects and I'm really close, like maybe I have one 13th and one 14th on my board and I'm going back and forth. That's when I bring the numbers in and I'm like, help me with my eye test. Like help me see if, if there's something I'm not seeing or if a player is more efficient. I, the last thing I'll say is I think the true shooting percentage is always tough with a big, because a lot of their shots are around the rim. Yep. But the, efficiency numbers are always going to be at the top of my list. Like the effect, the field goal percentage, true shooting percentage. I always think that's, that's stuff I'll always want to look at first. What about you? Yeah. And it's again, it's really important to note that this is just kind of a, a, a guideline of does it align with what you're seeing on tape? Or, you know, you mentioned Jaron Jackson is like, Oh God, he doesn't seem to rebound it well here, but then you have to go back and think about his role at Michigan state that year. And he was playing with Xavier Tillman a lot. He was playing at the four. He was not in the paint all the time. So even though he does have that high block rate of 14.3, a lot of that was weak side stuff where he's rotating down and collapsing on guys. But then in the general set of the, or set, set of the defense in the half court, he was, 
guarding fours and guarding on the perimeter a lot. So he wasn't always around the rim to do that rebounding. Um, and then, you know, there are always outliers with this stuff because just looking at this, you would think Bam Adebayo and Jared Allen would be bums. Um, Bam Adebayo was above average in one of the eight categories. Jared Allen was above average in zero of the eight categories. And I just think that's really interesting because it speaks to their roles, speaks to how they were used. And then it really speaks to their individual development and how much of an outlier some of these guys can be and how much, uh, how much of this whole process can just be total blind luck in terms of drafting these guys. And I, and I want to clear up something like looking at these numbers, obviously, I'm I'm referencing some of these guys with their roles now in the NBA. But as we said in the last episode, as as Metcalf just said, like roles change. But guys or yes. teams are looking at these numbers and projecting like, okay, their strengths, where they rank out at a positive level. Is that what we need for our team? And if you feel good about all those areas, then you know, you're not gonna worry about Robert Williams at 59% true shooting percentage because you're like we don't need him to be the offensive point on our team. We need him to be efficient in a limited amount of usage. And where he excels is what our team needs. Um, it's just really also, <laughs> I was the biggest Wendell Carter. Like I, I yeah. loved his film so much at Duke. Yeah. I was just like, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm all in on Wendell Carter. I loved him. And it's just funny looking at these numbers, just what a freak year he had. And I still think like those are guys we always go like, man, did he did he really work out? And it's like, no, yeah, he's still playing. He's playing at a high level. And I think we always make these unrealistic like expectations. Like even if you're a lottery pick, it's like you're supposed to be a star. And it's like, hey, Wendell Carter might play more than 10 years in the NBA at a high level. So um, always tells you a story. And sometimes the fit is always what we say, like. Does what I'm not trying to like, you know, dog Chicago Bulls, but like if Wendell goes to a different team, is maybe that trajectory look a little different? Um, I I, we, we saw how much of a leap he took once he went to Orlando, so yeah, just landing spot and environment and roster construction plays such a huge factor. So, you know, so maybe some of these hits, if they would have gotten drafted somewhere else things would have gone a little differently. But just for reference, for those listening, Wendell Carter is the only player on this list to be above average in all eight of the categories. Um, Oh, and also before I forget, we didn't include the international guys in this list. These are just the college guys uh, because those international numbers were not available. Yeah, Um, really convenient. Really, really convenient. Perfect. Love it. Um, But okay, let's run through some of these categories, just kind of big picture, what they mean, um, what's relevant, what's not, what's just noise. Um, Let's start out with the block rate, which is a really, really good indicator of how rim protection can translate. And guys who typically have a really high block rate in college end up having an impressive block rate in the pros and vice versa. But it's also not, it doesn't look like it's an absolute guarantee of who's going to be necessarily a good defender, because this is another number where you really, it's really important to align it with the film. Whereas is this guy an awesome rim protector because he's, his rotations are spot on. He's deterring shots. He's, you know, his timing is perfect. Or is he just chasing everything? And is he just recklessly going after blocks? Um, 
out of the hits, only three of the eight guys that we considered a hit uh, graded out as above average, and only five of the 14 misses graded out as above average. And then while, while we're talking about defense still, um, steal rate just doesn't seem all that important at all for centers. I, I think that one's much more of a perimeter defender stat. So, I mean, it, it gets... It definitely gets interesting because you get block percentage and we have guys like Jaron Jackson at 14.3. That's, you know, the biggest number. I feel like when you when you see this stuff and there's clear guys that are really high percentages, you're like, okay, I need to make note of that. But then like, mm-hmm. you know, Robert Williams at 10 and a half, um, Scalabissier at 10.3. So then you're like, okay, well, Scal was 10.3, but every other category he was below average. But then you get to like Zach Collins at 9.8. A lot of his other categories, he's above average. And I still think, you know, Zach Collins doesn't have an injury bug. We might be saying he's a really dang good player in this league and still think when he's healthy, he's a very, very good, impactful yeah. piece. It's just always really interesting. Wendell Carter's up there in, in the in the greens. Um, and then you get lower and you, like Mo Bamba and Jackson Hayes were outstanding careers or outstanding rim protectors early on. And um, it's also fun cause you can see what a player, it doesn't like the numbers won't tell you everything. Cause some guys, like we always say are not finished products. Cause like Jared Allen's one of the lowest block percentages on this list. And he's one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. Yeah. Now it just takes time for these guys to kind of find their groove. And, um, you know, Jakob Podol with the defensive numbers is low, but then you're like, you no, know, he's known for his defense now in the NBA. So it's. Numbers that that always, one shocked me. That oh, one did like when you when you started that off, and that was the first number. I was like, "Whoa, okay." But I, I really do think it's an important thing too. Like, you have to buy into potential and upside, and just because you're looking at analytics does not tell the whole story. It can help you, but I think that's why it's so big. Where I will always lean on the eye test. I will always lean on the film. And, you know, I joke sometimes we're like, film doesn't lie until I'm wrong on a prospect. And I'm like, okay, the film lied. (laughs) But I think it's important to use the film as your, you know, your heart and soul when you're evaluating. And then the, the icing or the dessert is literally analytics to help you with that evaluation. And, I've had plenty of times where I absolutely love the film and I go watch, I go look at the analytics and I'm like, whoa, okay, I I need to go rewatch the film. And, and sometimes that can change what you're seeing. Sometimes maybe you feel like, oh, I'm, you know, might be a little drunk in love, shout out Beyonce. But it, sometimes you have to kind of not second guess yourself, but sometimes your your own evaluation needs to be reevaluated, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next couple categories, um, what, what this whole exercise, what, one of the things it really showed me was how important rebounding is for these yeah. guys. I, I know that sounds like, duh, they're centers that they need to rebound or else your team is screwed. Um, but this whole exercise really backed it up where the guys who have hit five out of eight of them were above average in both offensive and defensive rebounding rates and then the guys who are misses the vast majority were below average in both of those where only five um finished out at, or rated out as above average in both offensive and defensive rebounding and zach collins was one of those so even if you want to consider him a hit now we're down to four um the importance of creating extra possessions on offense of ending possessions on defense 
intuitively it's obvious like just the 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 way basketball works it's like no crap but when you get these numbers and it backs that up and it backs up how these guys play and it's a really really easy number to kind of process and then also align with the film and the box score numbers um it, I, I think this is a really easy one going forward where you can use it to be like okay does this guy is this guy actually an effective rebounder or is he just kind of out there taking up space yeah rebounding so so important um i like how you have the spread out with like the hits and stuff because then you can go around and kind of average it out or, or compare when it comes to it and, and from like what I'm seeing is, you know, you've got what eight guys as hits. Yep. Um, only one guy was below average across the board. That's Jared Allen. And I think that makes sense from, you know, his film and at college to what he's turned into. It's kind of just absolutely blossomed. And the other one is Bam Adebayo, who's, below average in most stuff and then the true shooting percentage. But those are also two guys that out of all of those hits were two of the lowest usage guys, not yeah. including Robert Williams. But what I think the biggest point is, is when you look at these, it's a clear, like if you're below average in one area, you need to be excellent in another to kind of balance it out. I think the rebounding is always going to tell a big picture, a big story. Like we pointed out earlier, Jaron Jackson's lower with his rebounding numbers, but he's excellent across the board in every other category. So it's like, well, the rebounding was not what we want it to be, but he's awesome everywhere else. And it's like, okay, I guess we can live with that. You know, especially if Jaron can play alongside maybe a bigger rebounder or our roster features, some guys that are really good on the board. So then Jaron won't, you know, it balances out. It, and like Metcalf said earlier, it's always roster construction. It, it always is fit. So, um, but I, I rebounding would probably be at the top of my list if I was ever looking at a big. Like, oh, can he take over the game with, with the glass or what? Yeah. Um, the 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 rest of these are more offensive based. So mm -hmm. we have true shooting percentage, assist rate, uh, three point attempt rate, and usage. Um, with the true shooting percentage, the reason I included that one specifically was really because I, I don't care necessarily where you're getting buckets from as a center, but when you get those opportunities and you are taking those shots, they have to be done efficiently. And then you can align it with that three-point attempt rate. And if that is super low and your true shooting percentage is super low, we very well have a problem because that means everything is inside. You're probably taking a lot of either you're post-up heavy, you're taking a lot of bad mid-range jumpers, you're not finishing through contact, or you're just missing dunks and layups. Um, so when both of those are low, that's a real concern. But if the true shooting percentage is a little lower, but the three-point attempt rate is a lot higher, I can forgive that lack of inefficiency given how, um, how few young centers are actually legitimate three-point shooters. Um, then looking at the assist rate, it's not, can this dude be a playmaker? Can he run an offense? But it's more so, it, it's more so used as a counter to the low block and steal rates and just a, a tool to show, does this guy have a general feel for the game? And you look at Demonis Sabonis, for example, where he was one of the higher assist rates at 9.7 and 
that can tell you that he's a little more offensively focused, especially with the 66.2 true shooting percentage. And that can kind of offset the really low block and steal rate numbers that he had, because it's like, okay, this guy has a better offensive feel than most of these other guys. The defense could be a problem and and it very well may be a problem. turns out it kind of has been, but the offense has really grown and become one of the most fun NBA skill sets um, in the league. And then with the three point attempt rate, I really hate throwing three point percentage on centers, especially since most of them are low volume, uh, low difficulty level, but I want to see, are you willing to shoot from outside? And what that tells me is that there's a confidence there and a much higher, uh, potential for them to be a solid or at least capable three point shooter going forward. And then if it's super low, like a lot of these guys are, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really like all these categories you have because I think the true shooting percentage always is important. I think it's assist percentage and also looking at assist percentage combined with usage is really fun for me. Yeah. Like if you don't have a a high usage, but you have a high assist percentage, that tells me some fun stuff. That tells me like, okay, you know how to make impactful plays. Um and you see with the assist percentage and the usage, like a lot of those guys that graded out in both of those categories works a lot of hits, like a lot of good ones. Like it's usually works out where it's Wendell Carter, uh, Jaron Jackson, Deandre Ayton, Sabonis, Hodel, and, and even Robert Williams. Like, yeah, the usage is at 21, but the assist is at 11, which is, is awesome. So it's just always really interesting to look at numbers. Um, I know some people are probably having headaches. Like I said, just be patient. And I hope this helps um, for everyone listening. If you're wanting to understand what you're looking at. I hope you go check it out on YouTube because this is a great way that Metcalf brought this up. And it's always funny when numbers can tell the story. Like, and like I've said before, it doesn't tell you everything, but numbers will help you back up what you're seeing. And from everything I'm looking at right now, it definitely told me the same stuff when I was evaluating. And um, it's also funny, just some of the misses. Where it's like, yeah, it makes sense why all of these guys didn't turn out to be misses. And you look at a guy like Caleb Swanigan, like RIP, but high, you know, high usage, yeah. high assist percentage. But a lot of the other numbers that were really important just didn't stand out. And it was like, hey, they drafted Caleb was drafted to be this potential playmaking, great feel big man. And you're like, if the rest of the stuff could turn around because he defensive rebounding and it was a beast 30.4 i mean it's the highest number out of all but it was like can the rest of the stuff unlock and that's usually what happens when you see some of these misses is they had more questions that you needed to see if they could figure it out at the next level yeah and i with caleb that's always a tough one because there's obviously other stuff going on right, that I, right. I know you're well aware of and you know a guy like harry giles is on this list but just after that, those injuries in high school, he just never really turned out to be the guy that we all hoped he was. Um, kind of Justin Patton coming out of Creighton, some of his offensive numbers were incredibly impressive. But then he gets that foot injury and just stuff never really develops. But I, I'll make sure to that when we sh share this on Twitter and whatnot that we we include some sort of screen grab or whatever of this whole spreadsheet yeah. so you can kind of follow follow along um but the reason besides just kind of having fun and looking at 
what made sense over these last handful of drafts um, that we did this is to bring it forward yeah. to the 2024 draft and kind of looking at some of the returners and looking at their their numbers from last year or their careers if they're more than just soft or if they're older than just sophomores. Obviously, there there is an inherent flaw to this because it completely discounts the progression that they've taken over the summer and all of that stuff. But I, I think it can still be a, a an interesting starting place to look at these guys um, going into next season. For me, the one that really stands out is just Donovan Klingen right off the right right off the bat, um, where he's above average in six out of the eight categories, and the only ones that he's below average in are assist rate and three point attempt rate. And I think both of those categories were expecting, you know, they've been playing overseas. There was rumors that the three-point shot was going to be something added to his bag this year. He's been attempting them in all those exhibitions overseas. So that's probably going to go up. And I think with playing time, the assist percentage is going to go up. So I think this is almost more important for now to almost track where this ends up going because you can argue that Donovan with more playing time could do some real damage with all these numbers in a good, hopefully not a negative way, but um, it, it, that's definitely one that catches your eye right away. And it, it, as you're expecting, like he was mm-hmm. an analytics darling last year, but now you're expecting like a, a big year for him. And um, the fun part about this list is there's some names already that I was lower on last year that I'm like, Whoa, those are higher numbers than I was expecting. So that's, it's fun to almost see like, okay, this is where they're starting at. Let's see what they can do to build off of this. So which name that that you were kind of skeptical on where were you like, Oh, interesting. I would say Phil Palski jumped at me right away. Um, That assist percentage is nice. Um, Obviously there's three point attempt rates there, but we'd like to see the bit more a little efficient this year. And I'm expecting that all to happen, but even like the steal percentage being up that high, I'm like, Whoa, okay. And the defensive rebound number is good. Um, all numbers I think will get better. Like his true yeah. shooting percentage is a little bit below average, but I think it's just because last year the three ball really struggled to come around and if it takes the leap that I'm expecting. I'm sure he's going to be a, a name with a lot of greens. Um, what about you, Metcalf? When you put these together, were there any names that you kind of were like impressed by or shocked by or confirmed um, what you saw on film? Or I, I, I think the Filipowski examples are a really interesting one because the the steal rate being 2.7 shocked me. Yeah, that, that's that a big number. Really high, and that's substantially higher than anyone else on the sheet, even going back to the previous drafts. Um, I thought the rebounding stuff was really interesting. I know he put up a ton of double doubles all season. So it's not like, Oh, whoa, he's an awesome rebounder. Well, yeah, that showed up in the box score, but I, I think it's also really indicative and really shows that he was playing on the perimeter a lot with such a low offensive rebounding rate, but almost a 25% defensive rebounding rate where on defense, he's crashing the glass, but on offense, he was always out on the perimeter. Then you look at the three point attempt rate being high, true shooting percentage being low. It's like, okay, so he didn't shoot well from three at all. Is he a bad shooter? Was he taking difficult shots? Did he have awful shot selection? But then you go back and look at the tape and it's like, okay, the form kind of looks pretty good which is encouraging the confidence is definitely there but then you look at the shot shot attempts and the difficulty of it where there are a lot of step backs and movement stuff and it's not just the trails you know the trail threes or he's standing in a corner and launching whenever it gets swung to him 
there was a lot of difficult shots in there. So it's like, okay, I can be a little more forgiving on that really low true shooting percentage because you are taking a lot more difficult shot attempts. And that was something I really ragged on him for a lot of last draft cycle. And it's like, okay, this is kind of making some sense. I mean, he would have a, with comparing to all the hits we just talked about previously, he'd be third in defensive rebound rate. And in, he has an assist percentage that Robert Williams had. So those are big numbers. Um, very, very big numbers. Like even Oso at 15.6 for an assist percentage yeah. is like, whoa, like that is a humongous number. I mean, Caleb, Caleb Swanigan, everyone knows how awesome his playmaking ability was in college. And he was at 16.4. So that's a serious neighborhood to be in. And, it, it's it's important to look at these numbers because it really does tell you like you know also with that at 15.7 usage is even more absurd yeah but it's a good good stepping stone good kind of area to take and see where they could build off of um i don't know i, I mean bonus numbers even too like it, it makes a lot of sense to me with all of that stuff um yeah and I, I mean specifically I specifically with bona i mean Super high in offensive rebounding percentage, which makes sense given the way he plays. Um, But then the defensive rebounding rate feels unnaturally low for a guy of his athleticism and work rate. But then again, that's where you have to go back to the film and kind of similar to the Jaron Jackson low low rebounding numbers. It's okay. Is Bona a bad rebounder? I was like, no, not really. But then when you go and watch their pick and roll coverage, he was blitzing everything where he's chasing guys out to half court and then having to chase and recover. So it's not that he's a bad rebounder. It's that their defensive scheme had him way out of the paint and away from the rim all the time. Now that they're bringing in a Daimara and, you know, a handful of other guys, I kind of expect that to be similar this year where his defense or his defensive rebounding numbers are probably going to be similarly disappointing, but does that align with the tape? Does that match with what he's doing on the court? Or is that a scheme thing where he's not in put in a position to really bolster these numbers? And we always say situations, everything. And I think even you saying that out loud about Bona, that if I was in a front office, I would be like, Oh, you mean he's, we can put him on an, he can switch and hold his own out there and he's going to be comfortable doing it. And then if he doesn't have to, he's going to be way better when it comes to rebounding and stuff. Like that would make me even more intrigued that, Bone is already working on the part of his game where it's like, okay, we could switch with him and survive. Obviously, now if you know Bone is going up against Kyrie Irving, I have a feeling Kyrie <laughs> yes. might win that battle. But I'm just saying, like, you would like to see that. You you feel good about that, and you feel also like the numbers don't tell the whole story, like we're saying before, because of the situation and like Metcalf said, like the scheme that he's in. Um, I I think the other one that we really got to talk about. Um, is a guy that we were both very out on last year. Khalil Ware's numbers were significantly better than I thought they were going to be. I didn't expect to see that much green. Yeah. So, um, um, and for everyone listening, like I'm very in, I'm very excited because if Mike Woodson can't get Khalil Ware to, to rock, then I don't know if who can. And I think him going to Indiana, like when there was the rumors of he was visiting and stuff, I was like, go to Indiana. Like Mike Woodson will unlock that. So I'm excited for him this year. I'm rooting for him. It was just the whole time when he was going to Oregon. I was like, this is not going to work. And I, it's not just Khalil Ware and it's not just like 
I'm scared of four prospects going to Oregon this year. So um, it's a, that's good. That's a good area to start Metcalf. Like those should build in those strengths. The they, offensive rebound. I need, I need a little bit more juice, but, but again, that, that, that makes sense given the lineups yes. that he was playing with where he was yes. out there sharing the floor with Dante and Biddle a lot. And he's typically that power forward who is used for floor spacing. So kind of similar to Filipowski, he wasn't always around the rim. I'm a little hesitant that that's really going to take a leap up. I'm assuming he's going to be playing with Malik Renault a lot, um, but I would love for them to play him at center a bunch um, and like actually have him around the paint and use that length and leaping ability to generate those extra possessions. Because I, I think that's, that's the one big area where we're looking at, obviously the shooting could be a little more efficient and all of that stuff, but by putting him around the paint a little more, letting him be a little more consistent rim runner, I think we're going to see that offensive rebounding rate rise. I think we're going to see that true shooting percentage rise. And then you combine that with him being above average in both of the defensive playmaking categories. That's really encouraging. I did not expect him to be above average in five out of these eight categories, given how disappointing his year last year was. I mean, bonus block percentage was awesome. And Clearware had a nightmare year and almost had a, a yeah. as good of a block percentage. So that, that's where I love the numbers to come back and tell me like, Hey, maybe it wasn't as bad as I saw. Maybe like this is a good year. Obviously where is he has all of the stuff lining up to just have an unbelievable bounce back season. Um, and I have to point out that the fact that him and Hunter Dickinson almost had the same defensive rebounding percentage is probably not good news for Hunter. Shout out uh, Jayhawks fans. Yeah, have fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's this is important. Like this gets me more excited about Khalil Ware this year. And I'm right there with you. I think Malik Renu is going to be one of those guys that everyone's going to remember very quickly. Um, sounds like he's in fantastic shape and he's been working his butt off. So it's going to be interesting. Do they kind of play those two together? Do they kind of do some high low? Do they try to? You know, we'll see. But. I'm hoping that Woodson at least gives Ware a chance to kind of spread his wings. And, you know, if he just could show me some some more offensive versatility, yeah, I just need the motor to be on. Yeah. I don't need it to be on 100%. I would love that, but I don't need <laughs> it early on. If he could just show me like he has some possessions where it's just cooking, I'll be like, I'm in. I'm in, big buddy. Like, let's, let's do it. I don't know. What about you? Anything else or... Um, you have Ware at number five on your board. No, do you want to spell no, that now? I, I, I do not. I, I have him. I have him French first round. I'm. Uh, I, I'm Where in. Where he should be. Where he should be. I'm in fine. wait and see mode. I, yes. I'm in. Please excite me early on, mode. Um, because I the the tools are there. The tools are there for him to have a monster year. He's just got to want it, and that if he does, I expect both of those rebounding rates to rise. I expect the block rate to rise. I expect the true shooting percentage to rise. Um, situation was bad for him last year. Hopefully this one's better. Um, anything else on this, or do you want to move into a couple of the freshmen? No, I got nothing else. Cool. Um, you know, sorry for the diehard Creighton fans out there about Kalkbrenner being on there, but all those numbers, all those names make a lot of sense. Um, Zach Eady's still going to be fun this year. He's still a freak. Just so. incredibly productive at everything. 
His offensive rebound rate and defensive rebound be- rate being above 20 is just hilarious. <laughs> it's incredible. With a 12 point, gosh, 32.6 usage. My but goodness. then also a 13 assist rate. Yeah. So free. Just fun. Someone's going to take him early. I know. Like, I'm not saying like top 10, but someone's going to take him in like the first and just shock us. I So I, I think he's just to wrap up with all that. I, I think he's a really good case of one of these guys who. Is he going to be a star? Probably not. But I think he's shown that he is so productive in so many different areas of the game where he's probably going to have a solid 10-year career as a backup or a guy getting 15 minutes a night where it it would shock me if he just at minimum doesn't hang around the league for a while. A playoff team is taking him 100% because they're saying if it's going to work, it's going to work with us. And that's going to be our backup big that we bring off the bench. And, you know, he plays five minutes real quick and gets all of a sudden three boards and, you know, a couple buckets. Like, you know, some team will do that and they'll say, if it's going to work, it's going to work on our roster. So um, where do you want to go with the freshman? Um, okay. So the, the, I only put down four names for the freshman. Um, I, I think they're kind of the four biggest names to keep an eye on at the center position. Um, I can't wait until I accidentally forget someone and someone roasts me for it. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll call but, you out. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I think the ones most worthy of talking about are Xavier Booker, Aaron Bradshaw, Izan Almansa, and Alexander Saar. Uh, I'll let you pick. Wait, where do you want to start with those? Yeah, I mean, we can touch on a, a Daimara too if we need to. We'll do it God, quick. That because, a, God, that was Yeah, it. well, we're going to try to do some focused episodes on the big names, but we'll do big picture stuff here. Um, I'll do, Bradshaw, I'm not there yet. The, the injury, the preseason broken foot correction, broken foot. Yeah. I, okay. yes, I believe yes. I know it's a foot injury. Yes. Um, is a buzzkill. Hopefully he's okay. The timeline on that. Don't know the timeline. I know there was rumors who was shedding the boot soon. We'll see, but um, I had a lot of questions about Bradshaw before that happened, so we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know if you got any comments. Like, the very lengthy, impressive frame. I just think still super raw. Um, needs to put some weight on, but that's the rim-protecting potential beast for Kentucky. Um, I just hope he plays this year. Like, I don't, I don't know why. I just hope he plays. I hope that late recruitment to get... Um, the Croatian big guy isn't Zivon Mir or whatever. Sorry if I said his name wrong. I don't have it in front of me. Um, isn't a sign that Bradshaw's, you know, not supposed to play that much, but um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Xavier Booker, I think me and you have kind of sprinkled the talk in. I'm excited where he's going. I think that coach will be very good for him. He's kind of a sleeper in my eyes. What about you? Where, where do you yeah, want to yeah, go? Let, I know there's let, some big names that I'm dancing around, but. Yeah, I, I, I think the Bradshaw analysis is a little tough right now just because who knows when he's coming back and when seven-footers who move like he does and rely on that kind of fluidity and athleticism have a broken foot, that that's tough. That's really tough to come back from quickly. You don't want to rush that stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to his game. I think there's some fun passing flashes. Uh, the shot looks promising. He looks confident in it. So long-term, I think that could be a real tool. Um, the defense, it didn't, I, I, I don't know what to feel about the defense because 
he wasn't a bad defender, but he never felt as impactful as he should have. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, 100% makes sense. So it's going to be fascinating to see how his year goes. I really hope that he doesn't rush the um, rush his path back because broken feet, messy business. Um, let's let's dive into Xavier Booker's game, though, because I, I think he's a really, really fascinating prospect. Um, someone who I have a lot of mixed feelings on. Most of them are excitement. Um, can you can what, you sell me on him? I, I, I need to watch some more. I'm going to be honest. I've watched, there's a couple of guys that have slipped through the cracks that I need to watch more of. I feel like me and you have talked a little bit about those. Um, Xavier's literally on my list for after this episode. So um, I'll take, I'll take the fine on that one, but um, hit me with the Xavier stuff and then I can, I can help you. Help me um, help you. What, what are your thoughts? What, what are your excitement levels and where, where are you nervous about? could be just like a freakishly versatile offensive player. Um, the the shot looks really beautiful, uh, really good positional ball skills in terms of his handle. Um, a lot of really exciting passing stuff where he's kicking out of drives, making wraparounds, skip passes. Uh, the accuracy is kind of hit or miss on that, but just the, the vision, the mentality, the uh, creativity to try stuff um in the high school level i thought was really really encouraging going forward for what he could be um good athlete fluid good leaper good rebounder um good, good size chop. too right six yeah six eleven i think he's six ten uh yeah i got six ten two ten um that'll check so I, all the physical tools are awesome the defense is really good shot blocker really good rebounder legendary butt coming on the motor is not ideal ah, um, we always love the i not ideal motors around here yeah so a lot of the defensive stuff felt i am bigger and more athletic than everyone and i'll deal with it when it gets to me type stuff where he wasn't anticipating rotations he wasn't you know beating guys to the spot he wasn't getting down in the stance it was okay Okay. So I, I'm I'm hesitating on being like, oh, this is a major red flag because he was significantly bigger in the games that I saw. He was significantly bigger and more athletic than everyone else on the court. So I'm really hoping it's a competition thing where it's like, what are we doing here? Um, and he didn't really have to worry about getting down in a stance and being perfect on his rotations and all that because the the, the tools in terms of shot blocking and all that kind of stuff are there. It's just how frequently is he going to implement them with is with Izzo, I would imagine that if he doesn't, he's not playing. So he's going to have to figure that out real quick. I mean, everything you just said to me sounds like the classic, like, Oh, you bring a, a truck into the shop and they're like, Hey, you need a new engine. Everything else is great, but you need a new engine. And then you put a new engine in and it's like ready to roll. So, I mean, Centers are always scary to me at the high school level because I think the sentence you just said of like, I'll get to it when I want is very popular with the athletic yeah. guys. And I feel like the first month of college basketball, you could be like that quickly got thrown out the door. Like it, the motor's kicking. So, you know, maybe Tom Izzo's giving him a new motor. Maybe we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, okay. Now I'm going to get off and watch Xavier Booker tonight. There's my late night activity. 
Um, yeah, because I, I I think there are a lot there's a lot there to like, and and so frequently when we talk about those guys, where it's like, oh god, they're just such a better athlete than everyone else. It's their production and dominance comes just purely through that athleticism and that size, where there's like, oh, it where it becomes really easy to tell this isn't translating because there's not a whole lot of skill there. A lot of Booker's dominance and production comes through his skill and his versatility and his especially on offense where he's just kind of effortlessly floating around and finding these open pockets and drifting into space and cutting along the baseline. He, he has an intuitive nature of finding where to be and then moving the ball quickly and making really quick decisions on that end of the floor. So everything he does on offense is encouraging in terms of what he could be on defense. I just need to see it. Okay. I like that though a lot. That sounds very, very exciting. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the biggest risers and we see like a Jaron, Jaron Jackson-esque like We're meteoric rise from him. I'm telling everyone right now, I said this before we started this show to Metcalf. I said, I'm getting excited about this class. I know everyone's been bad-mouthing it. There's some names that I'm really getting excited about watching some of this film now. So, hey. Yeah, I'll be that guy. Yeah, you guys can all say it sucks. I'll say I'm ready to rock with this class. Like, I'll I'll go to war with any class. I'm pumped. So, I'm tired of hearing about it. The thing with that is, people got to stop comparing it to the last five drafts or so. Yeah, those are outliers. We have gotten incredibly spoiled. The 24 classes, the 24 classes. Don't compare. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to be fine, but stop comparing it to the other classes because we have been spoiled. And, And I'm telling you right now, every damn person that's saying this class is weak fact check them in six months and they're all going to be like oh class is getting really exciting intriguing so we'll see um who else you got um i'm the only other couple names are some guys that i talked about a bunch after fiba with Almansa and sar um do you have any new thoughts on them um i've watched a bunch more of uh, all of them um Almansa's gonna be a popular name gonna have a lot of people in their feelings probably having them in the top of their boards or in that region i get it he has an unbelievable track record if you're talking about overseas play he's been with the ote the last couple years i have more questions i think there's a lot of stuff that really could come together fast and shine Mm -hmm. but i do think um i think this G League Ignite team could have some guys that shock people in not a great way. I think it could be a rude awakening for some guys that people are very high on going into the year. And I think there's some guys on that roster that could be more impressive than people are realizing. And Almanza, I'm not trying to badmouth him. I just think he's got some tools. He's got some touch. He's got some stuff off the bounce that really gets you in your feelings. Could he the have physicality. a Miller-esque year? I think he could. Um, and obviously, they're going to have a lot of mouths to feed with that roster. Um, not even talking about the backcourt. I love some of their backcourt prospects. Um, Derry Darlin's one of my guys. I, I just love watching him um, raw. But I, I do really like his game. But I, I just think Amansa could have some of those games where we're like, whoa, look at that night. But he's going to have to put on some weight. And um, if not, he's going to have to really build that versatility with that outside shot and being a multi-level scorer. Cause if you're going to get bullied inside, 
which there's going to be some bullies going up against him because everyone, you know, every vet trying to get into the NBA is going to understand who these kids are. So I'm intrigued. I think he's shown a lot of flashes. Um, wait and see mode a little bit. I, I mean, I've Same. got my top 10, which most people will, but I'm in wait and see mode. Yeah. And then just with SAR, I, I, the, the tools are incredible. The tools are yeah. fascinating and so much fun. I just need them to kind of come together and be a little more productive and a little more consistent. Really fun tools. Yeah. Um, but he plays I, I sometimes more than that. Yeah. Sometimes he plays where he took 10 espresso shots before the game. And I'm like, slow down, which is fine. I think a coach would always rather say, Hey, let's yes. get you to slow down a little bit, but the game needs to slow down. It's one thing slowing down and the game slowing down. I think sometimes it's just sped up to him and it's a, it's a great problem to have. Like if we were saying Xavier Booker has all the tools, he just needs to slow down. We'd be fun, but we're saying he needs to have a better motor. Um, with Sar, I think it's just sometimes he's just out of control. And if the game can slow down and things start to come together, like Metcalf said, I'd be really pumped. But um, I think he, I still think he could be one of those gets drafted later. And some team is like, let's give this a couple of years and be patient. And then, Maybe it doesn't click this year, but maybe everything really starts to come together in a couple of years. And we're like, oh man, SAR turned out to be a really nice piece. Um, you, do you agree? Or are you just. Yeah, no, I, I just think he. But my, my big hesitation with him is that it feels like we've been saying that for a couple of years now, where it's like, yeah, God, these tools are awesome. These tools are awesome. He's good, but he's got to figure out what to do with them. Um, when, when it clicks with him, for you know the the stretches that it does he looks awesome he looks really versatile really impactful really fun he's but like I, a sam presti pick for sure yeah yeah so I, i'm really hoping that things start to click a little more consistently with him uh this year because there's a lot to like and there's a lot to build on it's just whether or not it does click um rucker you got anything else um i love Adamara. i'm worried I, I've loved him. I've loved him since people could go back and listen to the, when we did the FIBA breakdowns last year, I was like, man, I like Mara a lot. Very fun. Really excited for his game. Um, need him to get tough. Yeah. Need him to get tough. Like he has such awesome plot passes and his feels sensational. He's got rim protection. Um, he's got a lot of stuff that checks the boxes. There's some times where he gets pushed very easily, and I'm like, my man, that is not gonna last at the next level. So, um, I have a good feeling he's gonna have a good competition in practice with Mar uh, Dembona is probably gonna show him what it's like. So, I feel like everybody else might feel very soft compared to Bona, but I, I feel like a lot of people are gonna be in love with him quick. And if he comes out and looks great early on, and yeah, you know, those tune up games to start the year, like, yeah, I'm gonna be pumped, but um, yeah, I'm big mara fan i'm excited to see what he can do this class is gonna be fun get excited folks i'm tired of hearing the negativity ele everybody love everybody so no Metcalf, that's all i got i think the bigs are getting a lot of buzz in this class they should there's a lot of excitement there's you know filipowski takes another step bona takes another step and will Ware has a breakout year this class can get real fun in a hurry people are gonna have to remember that they were bad mouths in this stuff if they don't then yeah, I understand the hesitation, but I still think there's, we talked before we hit record. Like I was like, there's some names I'm getting really excited about towards the top. So that's all I got. 
All right. Well, once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at TMetcalf11. He is Tyler Rucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. You can follow, find all of our written work at NoCeilingsNBA.com. It's 100% free. Just click that subscribe button. Uh, you can follow us across all socials at NoCeilingsNBA and on YouTube at TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.